Hello, dear listeners. This is the time of year when we remind you about how you can support The Incomparable by becoming a member. You can sign up for monthly pledges or an annual pledge if you don't want your credit card charged every month. Here's what you do. Go to theincomparable.com slash members and sign up. That's it. You pick which shows on the network you want to support. So if you just check the box for The Incomparable, that money will come to me for this show. But if you like other shows on our network, you can spread that money around to as many of them as you want. We take out a few fees up front for administering the service, but most of the money is going, the vast bulk of the money is going to the hosts of the podcast that you love. And here's what you get in return, other than just the warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting the podcasts that you like to listen to. You get a lot of extras. You got bonus content. There's a bootleg podcast where after we record an episode, for the incomparable, it's literally a minute after I record the episode, I upload the bootleg. So if you can't listen live, which is really limited, it's very late on the East Coast. Um, Everybody else in the world is asleep except people in California like me. Uh, But the bootleg is there and you can listen to our completely unedited, ridiculous live sessions at any point. It's just a podcast feed for members. And there is our first class feed, which is where we put extra stuff, especially this time of year. And I just want to go in a few of the things that are in there right now. We did a Robot or Not extra. We did a Batman University extra where we read poems as Batman. There is a pilot to a game show Anthony posted before the final version ended up in the game show feed. We've done a bunch of commentary tracks for movies where you can actually watch Star Wars Empire Strikes Back is the latest one of that. Uh, Back to the Future we did. Uh, And those, it's like you're with us. There is a special uh, random trek, Total Party Kill crossover, where we played the Star Trek role-playing game that's exclusive for members and was a huge amount of fun. And a whole lot more bonus stuff available just to members. There's also a member community that you can join, and it's a pretty awesome group of people who are talking about incomparable stuff and other stuff. So there's so many reasons to support the incomparable. Contribution levels 5 10 and $20 a month as well as those annual equivalents. And if you're already a member, it's actually really easy to increase your pledge to a higher level. And at the higher levels, you get some special goodies in the mail in return. So if you'd like to support us, here's what you do. Theincomparable.com slash members. Go there, sign up. Thank you. And now on with the podcast. The Incomparable. Number 452. March 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're going to be revisiting uh, one of my favorite uh, TV show discoveries of the last couple of years. It is Netflix's science fiction series, as I like to call it, a uh, a mid-budget Canadian science fiction series. It's Travelers. <laughs> Originally a uh, Canadian show picked up by Netflix in the world, but the third season, I think maybe the Canadian network was going to cancel the show and Netflix wanted them to do an ending. So they did a third season worldwide on Netflix. And that is what we're going to talk about. It is the, as far as we know, the final season of of this iteration of Travelers. Perhaps they will return. And if you didn't listen to our previous episode of Travelers, you should probably go back and do that and then watch it. But we're going to talk about the third season. Um this is a this is a really fun time travel show set in the present day because again mid budget you can't it's better you can use locations in the present day and it's it's cheaper that way anyway uh, to talk about uh, this Canadian television series I am joined by two Canadians Annette Weirstra is here hello 
Hello. And you say mid-budget. I say high-budget Canadian. <laughs> oh, well, okay. That's right. Yeah. It depends on the sequence of words, right? Perhaps <laughs> for a Canadian show, it is high-budget, but for a Netflix sci-fi show. Jason, uh, maple bucks spend different, okay? <laughs> you sound more Canadian than I do. He sounds Eastern Canadian. Yeah, that's not the, that's not a legit Canadian. We're going to get to I'm those. I'm so far those. east, I'm almost in Nova Scotia. Nope, not a Canadian, not a Canadian. Erica Ensign is in Canada, though. Hello. Yeah, I'm in Canada, although I guess technically I'm not a Canadian because I don't have citizenship and can't vote. Yeah, okay. Yes, well, yes just right. say yet. And then we've got uh, we've got Moises, who does a Canadian accent, but it's all fake. Moises Chuyan, hello. Uh, Jason, now that we know what Protocol Omega is, I want to know what uh, Protocol Omicron and Protocol, uh, protocol Epsilon and We actually protocol do know Upsilon what Protocol are. Epsilon is. It's in the show. Oh, oh <laughs> see. <laughs> Goodbye, Moises. You're the weakest link. Goodbye. Protocol 7, get rid of me. <laughs> and uh, also Dan Morin is here, or is it Traveler 3129? Welcome to the 21st, Dan Morin. Oh, I was going to say welcome to the 21st. So you totally took that from mm-hmm. me. So good to be here. It's crappy living under domes. Uh, yep. That's the thing. Yeah, the start checks you know, out. In a way, welcome to the 21st for the very last time <gasps> yeah yeah so it was sad to hear that this is the uh this is the end of of travelers although upon uh finishing this season i uh looked on uh what some things that brad wright the um the creator of the show had said and it does really sound like netflix stepped in to bankroll a third season and strongly suggested that it have a conclusion which actually fits with a theory that i've floated on the tv talk machine podcast with tim goodman a a few times which is i kind of feel like if you're a streaming service there is a little bit of financial motivation to have shows have endings because people are more likely to watch them if there aren't people saying no 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 don't want don't bother it doesn't end it just got canceled and so I wonder if that might have actually been part of the motivator for Netflix to be like, yeah, okay, you can do a third season, but kind of wrap it up at the end. You can leave little things dangling, but like kind of wrap it up at the end. And I, I well, I, I suppose we we should end with that. But um, the show does kind of, I mean, it, it it doesn't just like end in a cliffhanger like the first two seasons. At least at right. least ends somewhere. Um, so they were clearly cognizant that this might have been the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they do a nice job of. You know, it didn't have to be the end, but it also works nicely as an end. And, you know, I agree that stories, you know, stories are best when they do have endings because otherwise they are unsatisfying. You get to Uh that climax and resolution and you're like, like, hang in there. So if you decide while you're listening to this podcast that you do want to watch Travelers and you haven't seen any of it and you're one of these people who listens to podcasts and talk, talk about things you haven't seen, don't be afraid to watch Travelers because it does land in a place that will make you feel like you saw the end of the story instead of uh, like making mm-hmm. you angry that you don't know what happens to your friends next, which is sometimes what happens on these shows. Can I talk? I want to talk about Canada for a second, only because there are several <laughs> points where the FBI figures in this. And um, mm-hmm. there, there, tor- toward the end of this season, there is this uh, plot development where nuclear bombs are planted in four cities around the world. And it the FBI me- kind of becomes the CIA at certain points. The FBI <laughs> is ill-defined. I-, I got lots of things about the FBI that I want to talk about, but I want to start with <laughs> oh, it. The, the, so there are nuclear bombs in... London, you know, of course, sure. Moscow, yep. sure. Shanghai, mm-hmm. and the city that the travelers are in that is very definitely in the United States and might be Seattle, but is never really named because it's Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And it just made me kind of giggle because it's like 
they get to the, they they get right up to the edge and then they realize oh yeah but we 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 just play coy with where the show is set because it is yeah. literally not set. Do in... they never ever say Seattle? I don't think they do. I don't think I was, they do. I was trying to find it. It's they not. Did. I mean, it's not like um. What is it? Continuum is the TV show that literally yeah. just Vancouver redraws the map to say they're in Vancouver, but it's not part of Canada or the United States anymore because they've redrawn it's its all own of thing. the coordinates and stuff but it's so so it's ultimately set in vancouver but yeah this show is is one of those shows that i don't know if they ever said seattle but they definitely do one of those things where they place geographic markers that make strongly suggest that it's in the pacific northwest somewhere which it is but yeah anyway it just makes me laugh because all the sci-fi shows set in in canada have that uh have that moment where they're like yeah other than orphan black which i i felt like eventually Mm -hmm. just kind of admitted that it was in canada yeah um and winona earp which is more fantasy than mm sci-fi but that's and it's very definitely in canada brad wright the creator of travelers uh was one of the people who ran um stargate sg1 another show shot in vancouver uh, some of the same actors uh, come back in in this because they are Vancouver actors and they appeared in the X Files and they appeared in Continuum and they appeared. It's a in this. lot of work in Vancouver for actors. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yep. it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Hollywood of Canada. For those who don't know, the premise of Travelers is that uh, people from the future are sent. They're they're in they're intelligences are sent their their souls their minds their their personalities are sent back in time into the bodies of people who are going to die in the present day and they take over their lives and they um and and they then the core premise which i think is a super clever premise is they are tactical teams who are given uh, instructions from a uh, supercomputer in the future trying to change the course of history so that bad things don't happen to us in the present day. And that that is a very simple core premise that time travel, of course, makes incredibly complicated. But the simple premise, I I just think it's brilliant. I think it's a great idea. Like, there are people from the future living among us, and they know all the bad things that are going to happen to us and are trying to prevent them. And And that's what Travelers, at its core, is. And I think... I, I could argue at its best, that's what it is. Like if you boil it down to the essential, um, you know, you've got your your team that you're rooting for, and they're trying to avert catastrophe because they know that the catastrophe is going to happen. And uh, I don't know that that's that's one of the mm-hmm. things I really like about it is that that that's a very clear basic premise and a show that gets wildly complicated but yeah. it starts in a it starts <laughs> in a good, clear place they do a nice job of twisting it all up and taking all the mm-hmm. implications of that and then yes. every time you think you kind of got a handle on like all right this is how the mechanism in this show works they kind of throw you another curveball mm-hmm. the, the sort of simple premise the way that they evolve that premise slightly from season to season is one of my favorite things because it's still like that's still the premise even here in season three but you know, the, the the big catastrophe that they are sent to avert in the first season, the, the Helios asteroid, because they averted that catastrophe, they saved, mm-hmm. you know, millions of lives. But some of the people who would have died then are still alive now. And then they go on to have the capacity to, to do some things that will lead to other disasters. So it's not like it's it's more complicated than, than they even think it is to start with, which I, I, I like that sort of extra wrinkle that oh yeah if you're going to change the fabric of of time and and what has happened then you don't necessarily just get a utopia by averting an asteroid from hitting the earth because there's going to be some some ripples from that 
Yeah, nothing like space-time meta complications uh, preventing something that that would seem so similar on its uh, simple on its face. Uh, you know, just a little nip and tuck in the timeline, just to just to make everything sail along nicely. Uh, ter- turns out, the for me, the big question of the show starts to become: Well, is it even possible to do mm-hmm. what they set yeah. out to do? There's always a bigger fish. <laughs> it's sort of like I mean, in this in this season, well, this we have is caught what, the biggest fish. We have caused a bigger fish to be created. They fi- yeah, they, they find out that scientists, for example, who would have been killed in the asteroid strike on the east coast, which led to all these things, invent like a black hole gamma ray, a singularity engine, or yes, something. which which is supposed to be a great energy creator, and instead bathes the planet in uh, horrible radiation and kills lots of people, and so then they have to stop those people and i i kind of like i'm not sure whether it is something that brad wright always intended or whether it's something that the more he thought about his premise as he was doing three series of tv three seasons of tv he realized about his premise as he went along because by the end of the third season of travelers i i feel like he's he's almost i don't know it feels like he's placing himself in the shoes of these characters and saying um Like, there's always something. There's always another problem that that the act of fixing this. Oh, we say we stop the asteroid. Now uh, everything's going to be fine. It's like, no, mm -mm, no, there's always something wrong. At its heart, that's really, I think, one of the reasons I love the series so much is that from beginning to end, uh, I feel like he was he was taking he was taking the auteurist approach, as is much more common in Canadian UK TV, where there's less money, less staff, and it's not as much a writer's room coming up with stuff as it is um, predominantly a head writer uh, driving themselves insane going Oh God! Now, now this show is actually off the ground. Now I have to figure out where my premise goes after season one. And wait a minute, how is this different from other narratives that have been done? How am I differentiating this from Marty McFly with disappearing people in photographs? How how could the quantum mechanics of something like this actually work out? And how can that be interesting in a way that I haven't seen a thousand times? Um, and I, I think I think that really is what kept me watching it's it's something that we've seen in shows uh like the good place where they subvert expectations by uh choosing to not decompress things and instead run headlong toward well this is a problem or going well we could have a bottle episode here but what would be uh the most bizarre form of time looping that we could accomplish in doing a bottle episode um that's that's why i i feel like the three seasons of travelers um stand up better than some shows that got 7 6 uh 5 8 9 seasons um because there was there was constantly that urgency to figure out what what the new iteration of this was with more complicated causality than, Oh, I'm just going to go back in time and fix everything. All right, guys, I'm back. Everything's fine. (laughs) Well, I also like that. It's not just about the time travel aspects, right? The fact that we spent so much time involved in these characters and their lives. And of course the fact that our, our characters that we're following are leading these double lives, which add their own source of tension and conflict because they're trying to, you know, it, it's almost a spy show as much as it's a sci-fi time travel show because we have these people who are pretending to be people they're not and they're trying to deceive these people around them and convince them, no, no, I'm still this person that you have known all of this time while at the same time doing these missions that are going to ultimately prevent some sort of catastrophe. Uh, so I 
think that that sort of interesting mixing of genres provides a lot more, not only a lot more interesting tension and conflict, but also allows them to get away with some more of the, I don't want to say low budget, but like, you know, more reasonable stuff in terms of what they're doing, right? Like we're not doing flashy uh, flying spaceships every week, right? We're, we're doing stuff that's happening in our mm-hmm. present day. Uh, and so for the most part, it ends up being a lot more grounded uh, in terms of what we feel and experience with a, with a few minor tweaks here and there. Uh, and I think you put that all together and it makes for some some very compelling, some very compelling watching. I think this this season, they really um, dug into that on a deeper level, sort of like looking at the greater good, that that's sort of the focus more in the first two seasons. But then looking into the personal side of that and the ethics of what they are doing to all those people around them and the questions of you're trying to do something good, but you're really impacting the lives of people. And do you have the right to go and pop yourself into that other person's life, even if it is for the greater good? And again, this is just a theory. I haven't actually seen Brad Wright talk about this, but I I just get the feeling that the more he thought about it, maybe between seasons, the more Brad Wright kept thinking about aspects of his initial premise that maybe even um, disturbed him a little bit. And that this mm-hmm. season tries to address. So mm-hmm. the part of the embedded in the premise of the show for lots of dramatic reasons, including that you want to have, uh, as Dan said, that kind of like undercover spy kind of aspect of it, too. You've got these people who their hosts were going to die and instead they're taken over. But one of the protocols sent by the director in Travelers is you resume the lives of the people who you're replacing, which... As a time travel story, I always found that perplexing because that fundamentally changes t- the timeline right there mm-hmm. because all those people went off to do other things after their person died. And uh, But I realized dramatically a bunch of people like hiding in a cave somewhere with nobody around but other travelers is not an interesting show like for interpersonal drama it's not only the 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 drama too. protocol five is it it allows them to have people in positions of power like like mclaren for example right because he's he's an an fbi FBI agent agent. that's true that's true too they're they're infiltrating society but i feel like brad wright realized at some point that and it's played out in season three with mclaren and his wife that you know he's not her husband He's lying. That's part of the job as a spy, basically. He is, he doesn't know anything about their history other than what they've picked up in the future based on their like historical records. He's making it up as he goes along. They've drugged her and wiped her memory multiple times when she's figured things out. And mm-hmm. it, it, it leads. And, and throughout this season, and honestly, the whole show, um, I've... I've been, you know, we watch this, Lauren and I watch this and we're like, you know, there is this sort of disturbing aspect of these are our heroes, but they're also kind of, they're liars and they're infiltrators. They're Mm -hmm. doing the right thing, but they're doing it in these ways that are kind of questionable. And I think that the whole series, all three seasons, makes you ask that question about like, is what they're doing justified and right just because of what they're trying to do? Are the means to that end justified? But like this show walks right up to it in the last episode and basically the decision that Mac makes in the final episode of season three um, because this this whole I'll just I'll just say it now again you should probably watch the show before listening to this <laughs> is, yeah. is the way this the, this, this part of of uh, 
of Traveler's closes is that they send Mac back further in time. They have a device in the present so they can send him even further back into the past and basically reset the timeline again. And the, what he does, he knows when he when his host met his wife and he goes back to that moment and chooses to walk away because he's not that person and he chooses not to get involved in her life even more complex because in that way he's also he's he's killing mclaren he he is killing (laughs) mclaren but then he's also resetting the timeline and walking away from every everybody else and i just i thought that was really interesting because oh yeah that seems to me like that's literally the the show the creator of the show but the writers and, and the directors and everybody in the show saying basically maybe the the show ends with saying maybe this was all a mistake, which I think is fascinating. That it it yeah. is interrogating its premise to that degree as a science fiction, a silly science fiction show about time travelers. <laughs> this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Away, makers of smart premium suitcases. Your luggage doesn't need to cost more than your plane ticket. I've got two Away bags. I love them. And one of the things you need when you're traveling is more battery. When you buy an away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. It's got a little uh, place where a battery lives, and then you can uh, pop it out. It's really nice. Both sizes of their carry-on have a battery with USB ports on it. You can charge your phone five times from a single charge. Go to awaytravel.com slash Snell, my last name, right now, and you can browse all of Away's suitcases featuring premium German polycarbonate. They look great, and they're unrivaled in strength and impact resistance while being lightweight. Uh, Ten colors, five sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, and the kids' carry-on. They cut out the middleman, so you're getting first-class luggage at coach prices, and they've got a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're an overpacker like me, and four delightful 360-degree spinner wheels. You'll never go back once you've had the four 360-degree spinner wheels. They're so good. Uh, They're compliant with all major U.S. airlines. They maximize the amount of stuff that you can pack in a carry-on. TSA combination locks are built in. They've got a removable washable laundry bag I love so I can separate my stinky clothes from my clean clothes. I liked the one that I got because they were a sponsor so much that we went out and we bought a second for my wife because she was jealous of the first one because I took it on my trips and put my stickers on it. And then uh, and they're they're everywhere, too. I have to say, uh, these away suitcases are everywhere. Put some stickers on yours if you get one because uh, there are lots of them out there now. I, it has really uh, become a very popular product, and uh, I can see why. So I put a Skeletor and a, an incomparable Zeppelin on mine. It's great. And mine's blue. And my wife's is red. So we can tell them apart. There's a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks on these things, they'll fix it or replace it for life. There's a 100-day trial. No questions asked return policy. Free shipping on any order in the lower 48 states of the U.S. Uh, They don't ship to the fictional place that is actually Canada where Travelers takes place. Uh, Well, they do, but not for free, I guess is what I'm saying. Into that fictional land of almost Seattle where uh, time travelers live. Anyway, go to awaytravel.com slash Snell. Use the code Snell at checkout. You'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash Snell and code Snell for 20% off. Thank you to Away for supporting the incomparable. Something that we haven't mentioned, uh, but we've we've danced near, is uh, comparisons to Quantum Leap. Um, but this is like Team Quantum Murder Leap, where it's more <laughs> than just one guy, and mm-hmm. uh, and th- there is that complicated morality baked into it from the very beginning. Um, and 
honestly, that that part of the button on season three is what makes me love it so much. I would be fine if Travelers, say, came back um, and there were maybe like a comic book miniseries looking at what, you know, attempt to look like. But I would be totally fine if this is all that we see and, and mm-hmm. the rest of it were left entirely to my imagination. And theoretically, an interview with Chris Wright three years from now or something where somebody gets a spare 20 minutes to just talk his ear off about what season four would have been. Um, I, I think that that is such a brilliant and uh, I don't think it's overstating brave creative choice um, to to effectively question your entire premise and leave it right on that. And that's it. I don't know that I've ever been so satisfied with a finale of a series before. I just I was I was punching the air when this was done. I was also crying, but uh, but I was I just felt like it made such sense. Like all of it, even if even if he didn't know that this was where he was building to, and I have no idea if he had that in the back of his mind or not. But I feel like everything that we experienced throughout all of the seasons, and then especially this particular one, really made it fit that that's the end that we ended up coming to. And I do think that uh, that this season really sort of ramped up the whole. The, the ethical morality questions about it because you have the faction who are supposed to be the bad guys. But I feel like the show is is very much treating the faction members as as people who are also thinking that they're the hero in their own story. I feel like there could have been a parallel series with Travelers, like Travelers mm. 2, that's actually done from the perspective of the faction. And they think, you know, yeah, they've killed a lot more people, but they also think that they're doing it for the greater good because they truly believe that the director does not have humanity's best interests at heart. Uh, it's, it, that's a really interesting point. And I think it's, it reminds me of, <laughs> speaking of uh, weird Canadian shows, continue Continuum, which we've mm-hmm. talked about, I think, before, where it's like similar thing where they sort of play with the morality of who are these people that are sort of pulling the strings. And I think the directors are a fascinating point because like the whole point is it's this AI uh, that they, you know, they've programmed. and It's the only thing smart enough to figure all this out. But there are there are rightfully a lot of questions about whether the AI and, and this sort of plays into even sort of uh, stuff going on in our world right now. Right. With like things like machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, where it's like, well, but our AI is programmed by people and those people sometimes make mistakes or have inherent biases that are then reflected in it. So like there there is kind of always this open question of whether or not the, the director and this the travelers are doing good. Uh, and there are occasions where our our characters do go against them, or which the traveler or the director makes decisions that are uh, not. Uh, what's the word I want? They're they're not humane. Maybe like they're <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of they're 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 done in a way that is like clearly prioritizing the greater good because that is a thing you can trust the computer. But like they're also tragic, right? Like a lot of the decisions it makes are not great from the perspective of people who care about these particular characters i mean i'm I'm thinking particularly of uh of david which i'm sure mm-hmm. we will talk about at right. some point but like yeah that's a it's an extremely complicated morality into turning all your stuff over to a computer and i agree with erica like the idea that the faction has a different goal but one that almost seems more noble like in other shows they would be like the re- the rebellion right mm-hmm, like oh yep. there's this autocratic computer controlling everything we do fight back against the system also the the whole concept of the faction is fascinating because and this is the second season kind of talking the idea here talking about the time travel mechanics of this show every time they make a change their boss in the future 
changes, which is interesting because it, they are always getting messages from the updated timeline after they've made changes. <laughs> yep. And, right. and yep. that is kind of a really yeah. mind-bending. But what it means is at one point, by saving everybody from that asteroid, they th- this um, – I think it's the asteroid. This one dome that was destroyed before is no longer destroyed. And in there, a rebellion builds. And that's kind of fascinating because the the faction, it's, it's not just the faction or the rebel alliance, but it's that the director who's giving the travelers orders in season two and three is literally not the director who sent them. Because Mm -hmm. that was a, they've made changes to the timeline in the intervening time. And, and that, is fascinating, right? Like the, the whole, the whole, because of the time travel premise, you have to, again, I feel like the show as it goes is like, well, wait a second. We, that, that, yeah, right? Like they, that they have work? to yeah. update their <laughs> imagine, own premise. Yeah, imagine your, your boss at your regular old day job, uh, the, the mind inside them literally changes every time you submit a completed project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think you saw that rogue historian, I think his name is Luca. He says to Phil, Kyle. Oh, see, I'm totally wrong. Who knows? Kyle was Kyle that. was the historian. Luca was the uh, the he's the sidekick of Hall. Yeah. Okay. A- another another minor note. I mm-hmm. love that there is such a thing as a rogue historian. I think that's, <laughs> yeah. ju- I think that's he, super he, cool. He says like you did all these amazing missions, but nothing ever changed except for they have. They just haven't seen them change because you're in this alternate future where things did shift. And, you know, so it's like kind of very loopy that way. It's like they we've, they change things so, so much. The faction exists now, but they don't feel like it changed because they've never known a future that didn't right. have the faction. Also, it's the um, the time travel premise that like from the perspective of 450 years in the future, it's that thing of like um, – if if Abraham Lincoln, I'll put follow me here. If Abraham Lincoln hadn't been assassinated, he would still be dead, right? Because right. he mm-hmm. would have died of old age a very long time ago. Well, that is sort of one of the things going on with travelers is they're saying, well, you saved that million people in the 21st century from dying in the asteroid thing, but it didn't change our lives any, and yep. therefore you've kind of failed. And that's amazing because like we're no no we're heroes. We saved <laughs> millions of lives, and they're like, yeah, but in yes, but you. Call Caused the Second yeah. Civil War. What, what Second Civil War? What have you done War? for me lately? In, in the end, it didn't make any difference. Four hundred and fifty years from now, and that's that. I, I think that is a very cool thing as well. That that it takes time for the show to kind of develop, and I think for the writers to to really let it sink in in the show itself. That oh. <laughs> like, like, oh, that doesn't change anything. That's, yeah, the, that's the really rocking good. of the consequences as this show goes along is, I think, one of its strongest suits. Like, as you start realizing sort of the full implications of things, and as I feel like the writers even really started realizing, like, what the implications of all these plot decisions made. Like, you know, there's a point in this show where, like, the most dangerous thing that you can do is be on a camera at a, at a known oh, yeah. place right and like it's terrifying <laughs> because it is that like oh well yep you're on a security camera and there's like the scenes where they just put the cameras around like their safe house or whatever and you're like wow that's a a brilliant low budget like, way to film a combat scene but also it's it's terrifying yeah well it also it also immediately brings in the whole surveillance state mm-hmm. um, totally. meta commentary just just as as a matter of solving a plot need um you, you've brought in this whole other layer of who's watching you how are they watching you what data are they tracking on you that is so much part of our everyday lives right now yeah 
And then 400 years from now, that'll all be archived in a landfill somewhere and fished out by people who live underground and used to do research to send people back in time, which, you know, also has wrinkles when they get it wrong. There's a commentary about like with um, with Marcy, I think, about social media and stuff like that, where there are like lies about her status um, Mm -hmm. and that leads them to misunderstandings about what her actual status is because on so, you know, the social media lied about her. And that happens a few Mm -hmm. times where they send somebody back and it turns out that they they got it wrong. They didn't understand what, you know, the the glowing obituaries that come from uh you know people who are actually heroin well, addicts. We have, we have our cannibal exactly. We have our cannibal serial killer oh, in this yeah. season, yes. which is yes. so amazing, so right? <laughs> and they don't realize he's a cannibal serial killer because he just died, and they never found out that he was a serial killer. The evidence burned up. Yeah, but by saving him, then there's evidence because he throws up a human eye, and but they uh, still need him. <laughs> but they still need him because he's got like super specialized knowledge and can fix the. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. what a great what a great premise for an episode. <laughs> a lot of times that. That kind of bleeding, uh, sorry, lack of a better term, um, uh, into into horror is something that kind of just, you know, turns me a bit. Uh, but it totally worked because it was so unexpected. Yep. Uh, granted, yes, it was jarring and gross, but it was it was it was hilarious. And they cast an actor who is probably often cast as a creepy yep. guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And then and then he plays the the the, you know, mathematician who's trained his entire life to do this one job, which means he's playing completely against the type he's probably and it's like that is so good like that that's the dream role i would think for that actor and it's so fun to watch and so sweet and like he ends his his conversation with the with the other scientist by giving her a hug because he feels so bad for her because this dream of hers has now been crumbled like right in front of her eyes yet he's the one who's going to go to jail for the rest of his natural life which is probably still better than the place that he came from but still but still yeah Yeah, exactly. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Backblaze, unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs, starting at just $6 a month. I am a Backblaze customer. I've got it set up on my home server, which has got a big hard drive attached to it because I've got super valuable stuff in there that I want to have backed up. It also gives me access to it in case I can't get access to my server from wherever I am. They've got an iOS app. I can log into and I can extract files from that, which is pretty great. You know, it used to be that all I had were hard drives backing up to other hard drives and a hard drive dies, you know, uh, backups aren't trustworthy and you can lose your data and you lose your data and suddenly it's like, oh, those pictures I took, those scans, those photos, uh, videos, whatever, like they're gone. It is the worst at all. And I decided I wasn't going to do it. I live in California. We've had a bunch of terrible fires here. There, We've had some flooding. You know, a backup that lives in your home is not a backup because what if there's a catastrophe? You could lose everything, including your original and your backup. That's what's great about cloud backup because it goes out to the cloud. It's an offsite backup by definition, which is great. Now, I started using Backblaze a couple of years ago. It's worked out really well for me. You can sign up for a 15-day free trial. No credit card even required. Go to backblaze.com slash Snell, my last name. That's all you need to do. They have backed up 750 petabytes and counting, the equivalent of 750 million gigabytes. They know their stuff. They are saving a lot of data for a lot of people. And if you truly do have a data disaster, they can actually send you a hard drive with your data on it. And then you can restore your documents from that and send it back for a full refund. So you can get up 
to, uh, to whatever you need to do so quickly in the aftermath of a data disaster, which is really great. And again, total peace of mind when you do this. It's the difference between having downtime, hours, or maybe even days of work lost, or you have to wait until you get it back. You can get it back fast. You can get everything back on that hard drive being shipped to you. So many good things that can come out of a bad situation. So, you know, we don't get to choose when bad situations happen to us. They happen. That's life. Um, our devices betray us. That's the bottom line. They betray us. Get an offsite backup. Keep your stuff safe. Avoid that looming data disaster. Could happen at any time. Go to backblaze.com slash Snell. Get an unrestricted free trial and let them know that you heard about Backblaze on The Incomparable, which we really appreciate. Backblaze.com slash Snell. Go there now. Thank you, Backblaze, for saving all of us from countless data disasters, letting our data be up in the cloud if we need it in an emergency, and for supporting The Incomparable. I was just thinking, I mean, so it became apparent to me kind of as we started to go through this season, at a certain point, I, you know, you start to realize especially this is a, this is a fundamental trick with a lot of time travel shows right like once you've introduced this concept of time travel there's always some sort of feeling like this could all be undone right like the stakes mm-hmm. it's right. difficult to maintain stakes sometimes because it's like well they have time travel right they could go back and fix it and granted the time travel mechanism here is just distinct enough that you realize even if they do that there are consequences and they're limited in the way they can do that but i think probably for me it was right around like uh you know when when trevor starts experiencing his his breakdown in this season that I started wondering like, all right, they're not going to just sort of roll with that. Right. Like this is, and then, you know, we go from there to what happens to David. We go to just the truly, you know, well, the, the nuclear, nuclear bombs, bombs this, going off right. in London is that moment where you're like, surely this is going to get undone, right? And and I mm-hmm. think, you know, going back to our talk about the ending a little bit, I think that, that what works so well about this is that, yes, there's a way to fix it using our central time travel premise. But as we are talking about all the consequences of the things, it comes with its own consequence and its right. own limitations in the way that it works. Uh, and so I, I feel like that is a... A really clever way. They they are very good in the writing of this show in really committing to a lot of their technology and their decisions, right? Not not in a way that always eliminates every possible loophole or kind of like scratch your hood moment, but to really sort of think through like, all right, we've set up this premise. What are all the implications of this? And how can we use that within the bounds of this world that we've created to make uh, a plot point but not make it feel like a cheat, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they do a really nice job with that in a way that manages to maintain that tension while also being, you know, something that can move the plot forward. Yeah, that was one of the things that I've just loved from the beginning of this is that anytime I had a thought about, oh, what would the ramifications be if they did this? At some point within a few episodes, that happens and Mm. I get to find that out. It's like, you know, fandom on the Internet has a tendency to, you know, fanfic is a huge thing. And it's people taking all of these possible uh, iterations and consequences and kind of running with them. And I feel like, of course, it's a time travel thing. So there are definitely more that could be explored but i feel like i feel like this show has left a lot fewer um (laughs) cards on the table that people can like pick up and run with in different directions in terms of the time travel technology and what what can be done with it because i feel like it just it feels very 
very fanish the way that all of these uh, all of these options are explored and then iterated and then re-explored and and I love it. Yeah, I think that comes back to me saying that it's inter- interrogating its own premise. I think that's like fan fiction is like that, right? Where it's like you you've got the given is whatever the work is and then you as the fan are going to start kind of like iterating like what are the what are the options here and what are the what are the things that are the cracks between the parts of the premise that I can dive into and all of that. And this show feels like that. This show has that where it's exploring its own premise and its own aspects in a lot of really fun ways that um that are are it's enjoyable to see that that it's not i i just I, again i don't know this for sure perhaps it's just incredibly artful on their part but this is the kind of show that feels like the writers were discovering the show as they went along and it's, yeah. A, yeah. A, a, with us mm-hmm. right as viewers and that's it's delightful directly to that point something that i found really interesting about season three is that you know the cliffhanger to season two and then leading into season three it seemed that the premise was being set up that it was becoming a a different kind of cop not a cop story um and then that kind of wasn't i mean it was it was a new supporting character um that that had you know a a bigger influence on things and you know they were they were working directly with the government sorta um (laughs) but they they, they kind of abandoned that rather than feeling entirely captive to it. They they almost dispensed with what they were going to do with that and, you know, reasserting the control of the traveler team over the government having control of them rather than let the entire season be entirely driven by, well, I guess this is what we set up. They, they set up a premise and kind of just got rid of the chunks of it that didn't function in, in terms of, of servicing the story that they found themselves telling, which I thought was really neat. And it made sense, too, because if the if the fate of the world is literally at stake, are you going to listen to your FBI boss or are you going to do what the director tells you and lie to your FBI partner? Probably the latter. Yeah. So I wanted to ask everybody, like, I appreciate them learning about the show as they go and fixing it on the fly. I will say I have some quibbles with this season. One of them is the FBI idea. Yes. They, I feel like... I feel like the writers and Brad Wright decided that they were tired of Mac pretending to be an FBI agent and seemingly never doing his job, right? Eventually, <laughs> Lois Lane has to find out right. who Clark Kent really is. So they, they do a thing that a twist that I thought was clever at the very beginning of the season where they're like, now the FBI knows the travelers are real. The government knows the travelers are real. And they're just going to let them kind of like have the wherewithal of the government to do what they need to do. And yet for the first, I mean, for most of the season, it ends up becoming this antagonistic relationship between Mac and his new FBI partner about like, you can't do that. You can't do this. And it was for me, extremely frustrating because I felt like it was a waste of time, a waste of characters, a waste of drama. And in the end, we're back to the same thing, which is what Moises just said, which is they're literally capable of saving the world every single day. Why are you getting in their way? And it just, it got, I was really frustrated by the whole FBI thing. I wish they had just not done it. (laughs) I I, I wish that if they, I wish that they had found their way to that earlier but I, I i kind of like the idea of um of of them having to set it up and then deal with it uh but I, i'm i'm with you that that they they spent too much runway I like on the it. odd couple nature of like he's a traveler she's not a traveler they solve crimes yeah. together and save the future but that's not really what they did <laughs> i understand the frustration with it but i i feel like if people were to show up now 
that probably government agencies and people would have exactly the same reaction as that. So I felt like it, it felt it felt real to me. And I really Yates didn't get to do a whole lot as a character, McLaren's partner. But I appreciated the way that she was sort of brought in, in that it was her mother who was dying, who became a messenger. Yes, that was good. That's my messenger. And it humanized it humanized sort of the experience. So you have a person who is is experiencing this phenomenon from the other side, which I think really strengthened the whole you know back and forth debate about about the ethics of of, of what's actually happening. And I think that that was a, a much needed perspective because I don't think that they dwelt on that in the first and second season as much as I would have liked. So while yeah, it did get maybe maybe it was a little tedious from time to time, but I I, I appreciated that the FBI didn't actually trust the travel. And by the end of the season, the, the FBI doesn't really care if you are one of the quote unquote travelers or you're one of the faction because you're from the future. Uh, so we don't trust you. And I feel like that's kind of fair. I'm with Jason in that I felt like it was something that it's almost as if they had like started writing and breaking season three before like the whole cancellation thing. And it kind of felt like a vestige of like, all right, uh, this is going to be the premise mm-hmm. of this season. And like, it's going to be about the FBI and that. And then like at certain point, they're like, oh, we need to actually like do a bunch of other stuff to wrap up the show. So we're kind of going to shift gears a little bit because it it ended up mattering less as the season went along. And I totally agree that the it just hit the same notes every single time. Like Jason was saying, like, oh, you can't do this. I can do this. And like at certain points, <laughs> then they were letting them do things. And I don't know. It, it didn't. I, I appreciate the idea and the, the premise of where they were going with it. But I felt like the execution of it was a little eye rolling and especially having to deal with a new character who came out of nowhere, who's sort of a foil, but not really a foil. And I, I yeah, I didn't. I liked Yates as much as, you know, like I thought the actress was good and I enjoyed the certain like parts of it as like seeing through somebody's eyes who is not a traveler. But at the same time, it felt to me like a dynamic that I didn't really need to see played out all the time. She had a lot of job of doing like plot impediment stuff, which is a thing. Yes. I think she was most interesting when she was playing the role of us and asking those questions like, you know, my my mother's last words were not her own. And even though, yes, she was almost dead, you still took that last moment away from me and the ethics around that. And so when she'd bring up a lot of those things about like like the respect for the body, even someone who is dead and not having, you know, putting someone else in there. There's there's some good questions around that. But I agree that her, her she did become a bit of a repeating refrain, refrain um, that didn't need to be there. I think they could have used her differently to ask some more of those moral questions and represent us as the non-time travelers and our perspective. And yeah, because just jumping into someone's body even for those few seconds it is still not respecting right their bodies you're saving the you're saving the world <laughs> i know oh, no. but do you have the right to that's the, that is that is i mean like yeah there, there are a lot of these questions and asking about the the fundamental premise of the travelers the other uh other thing i wanted to mention um i've got a, I, i'm going through my list of grievances now that's just what i'm doing <laughs> oh, i i also have a couple of those so season two was largely about uh traveler zero zero one the idea the first traveler who became kind of a villain and was disaffected with the and this is p- played by uh, what enrico colantoni uh, father ronica Keith, mars. Keith mars yeah mm-hmm. um and uh at the end of the season he transfers his consciousness into 
Amanda Tapping from Stargate. And uh, that's kind of interesting. And then in season three, it's like, we forget about that for a while. And then there's one episode where Amanda Tapping is brought back and killed. And then they don't talk about it again until the last episode of the season. And I, you know, this is going to be a similar criticism, which is either tell the story or drop the story. But but instead, it's sort of like, well, I guess we have to deal with it. But like, like Amanda Tapping, they set her up as that she's going to be the new villain. And then they just bring her back and kill her, which felt like they just they thought better of it or something. And that was frustrating. She, she, by the way, Amanda Tapping directed four of the 10 episodes of the season. So <laughs> she had a lot to do behind the camera, but I was frustrated by that because I felt like they were, you know, they were kind of like in the middle of like, well, we need to address it, but we don't, we don't really care. And I didn't think that was a really great episode. It felt like more obligatory. And then at the end, zero zero one is brought back in a plot twist that I felt like was not really properly set up because they hadn't been dealing with zero zero one all this time and it's weird watching these maybe in a binge it would make uh like if you've never seen the show before and you binged all three seasons it would make more sense but there are a few moments where i felt like the writing in the show was expecting us to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the show that Mm. i don't have between seasons Mm -hmm. because we got all of that stuff with uh with what's his name the guy who was in like two episodes and then he comes back and dies. Jason, I can't believe you don't remember the B-plot from episode 1X7. You know, <laughs> where there's the guy who, you know, you know the guy, and he's been in a million things. He's a Canadian actor. He's been in a million things. But anyway, he and it's very sad. And his, like, his organs are all decaying, but they're keeping him alive because they need to get the information out of his brain. And I was like, oh, I yeah, barely Hulk. remember that mm, guy at all. Yeah. And they're treating him like this big character. And it was that same sort of feeling with 001 and with that, which is like, do you think that I like, do you think that I'm keeping this all in my head and that this character is important because this character is not important and you haven't really set this up properly. And I, I don't know that, that, that one episode bothered me a lot, but the zero zero one thing in general, I felt like it was just mishandled because they didn't, it's like they didn't know what to do or they changed their mind about what they were doing. The zero zero one thing. I mean, I, I feel like I, I like subversion of expectations when it feels earned. Like I like the idea of having set up zero zero one in all of season two as this big, bad, you know, um, ancient evil sort of force in the, you know, Buffy and comic book, uh, you know, parlance as it were. But I, it, it would be, be it, 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 it would it would feel better if it felt like an intentional left turn rather than a oh we need to tie up that little loose end right there and then in theory if we do somehow manage to pull out a season four renewal you know make an allowance for it i never got the impression that amanda tapping was necessarily going to be the big bad because zero zero one always wanted to uh, to hide from the director that was always sort of job number sure. one so for me it didn't it didn't bother me that that uh, you know she gets away and you know says i, I don't want to have anything to do with you guys because i was kidnapped and it was your fault so i'm 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 staying away and i I have, I'm always a fan of when those subplots do rest for a while and then just pop up here and there. So this really worked for me. But I did also binge this season. And I feel like it was written for the box set in a way mm. that some shows are. Like, I don't think I could watch Counterpart like week to week to week because like I'd never be able to keep everything straight. So maybe I would have had a very different experience of it if I would have been watching this one episode at a time instead of all together. Because, yeah, as soon as Hall popped up and that's the guy that that's you were Hall. talking about, yeah. Jason, I was like, oh, he's back. Oh, my 
my God, they, you know, they have this little rivalry between them. And mm. I was I was excited by that. And I was disappointed that they killed off uh, Amanda Tapping's character because I wanted to see more of her. But from a dramatic standpoint, I appreciated it because then at that point, I didn't know who 001 was. And I liked the mystery. It, you know, could have been anybody in any episode. And yeah, it sort of it sort of rests. But that is then the final mission after Protocol Omega is is called. That's the one and only mission that the director has given them that hasn't been completed yet. So that's the thing that they're able to sort of still focus on, not knowing at the time that 001 is actually physically in the room with them in uh, in Jeff's body right. by that point. But I, I it, it all worked for me. And it's the faction really that's that's sort of the uh, the big bad that's that's actively doing stuff and the one part that that confused me is that okay so they've changed it so that they you know what what is it like shelter 41 doesn't collapse so the faction starts there that's where the rebellion starts and the woman uh who's in charge of the faction until they kidnap amanda tapping she she explains to zero zero one we're from the future where we're led by you so right what, d- d- does that mean that zero zero one was not sent Back in that future, or does that mean that zero zero one has somehow managed to continually use the um, the the consciousness transfer machine, machine again yeah. and again to mm-hmm. stay alive that long? I don't know that that's clear. I agree that you can let threads lie dormant, but a lot of time it seemed like threads were left to wither a little bit in favor of plot lines that were more like the FBI stuff. Um, So it wasn't so much just that the plots were sort of lurking there on the surface, because I agree that when you can create a sort of tension um, by like dropping these, these breadcrumbs early on and then having it pay off in a rather remarkable way, that's great as a good storytelling. But a lot of times it, it would, because it was so concentrated in like, here's an episode about this and then we're not going to talk about it again for a while, rather than sort of doling it out a little more, uh, over time, I think it, it was easy to forget, and it gave a lot of the season much more of a episodic feel uh, than I feel mm-hmm. like pre- previous seasons had had, possibly. And it, it just felt a little disjointed because, I think, of the focus on other stuff that seemed less pressing. Um, like, yeah, because I, I agree that, like, after, you know, after the events of the end of season two, it feels like, well, this should be our priority. Like, we should be totally dealing with this 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 rogue traveler. And they're like, well, but instead, you have to work with the fbi and it's like really <laughs> so do you, you i mentioned, you mentioned episodic and i like i go back and forth on this because we live in a it, it's a weird time for television where there are shows that are heavily heavily serialized it's like watching a movie and then there are shows that are more, a little more episodic like star trek discovery is an interesting example where in season two they have made it tried to make it feel a little more episodic while having a story arc and i know um you know brad wright's history with things like stargate i feel like I, I, in all of Travelers, I feel like he he is trying to walk a line where this is the episode where this happens while also telling a bigger story. But in season three, I felt like it kind of fell apart in that way where middle of season three, there are a bunch of episodes that feel very episodic. Yeah. And I felt like they were... In hindsight, having watched the whole season, I kind of felt like they were a waste of time because the last four or five episodes, like the last four episodes especially, are so good and they're all... Um, high stakes. The stories continue. They do have their, they still are like, this is the episode where uh, Trevor has his 
brain problem. And this is the episode where the archive is uh, attacked. And this is the episode with uh, David uh, dying uh, of radiation exposure. Like there, there, there are all of those, but um, in the middle, it did feel a little, little more episodic, a little bit like the se- the season didn't really know quite what it wanted to do. And part of my complaint with something like Hall is that I felt like the show, which only has 10 episodes in its last season, is like, hey, we're going to do an episode about Hall. And I'm like, who? Why? What are we doing? And I realized that, you know, I, I don't know, it didn't work for me. Yeah, it's not that those episodes aren't good either. I think it's just they come in a weird place. Like the episode where, you know, McLaren is trying to uh, retrace his steps and find the kid. And it's like, there's an interesting story to be told there. Yes. I'm just not sure that's when you want to tell it. And I I like that story, but that was another example of like, hey, you remember that kid? And I'm like, vaguely, right? I like that episode because it was the episode where McLaren doesn't remember what happened and right? it's an interesting structure in the same way as the yeah. bottle episode or the the time loopish episode in season two yeah. right like it's cool when they go off book like that i totally agree but when you're trying to build to a climax of this like especially if you do know that it's going to be your last season like maybe there's a better yeah. way to structure there was that. not a lot of seasonal narrative momentum i'm i'm gonna argue for that episode because i feel like I feel like it's super important to McLaren's mm. de- personal development towards his decision at the end of the uh, at the whole end of the thing because he he's he, he's struggling with the fact at the at the end of that episode Protocol Three that he was ready to take the life of a kid just because the director told him to and I and, and you know maybe it didn't need to stretch out to an entire episode but I really liked that episode I think it's but a good I episode thought, yeah. I thought that the 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 fact that he ends the episode sort of questioning his devotion to the director is a really important thing. And it's also kind of nicely echoing the the other bits of the season where, you know, we, we see that Philip saved this kid and then, oh, my God, this kid's going to turn into a monster. Look at the ramifications. But then you have then the extra wrinkle that, oh, if he's actually shown some kindness and treated well, maybe he won't be such a monster. And... Yeah, I like those layers. I really like that episode too. I thought it really kind of in a in one episode summarized a lot of the questions that I had for this season. I will confess though, after that, I stopped watching the series and I think halfway through episode six and a half, I looked because I was like halfway through and the only reason I finished it was to come talk with you guys. So it, I just kind of lost interest in uh, episode six. I I really hated it, and um, we stopped watching it for weeks after episode six. I actually <laughs> yeah. liked episode three, even though I I agree with Dan that it 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 season wise narratively it seemed strange, but at least it was a good episode. Episode six, I just I I just didn't care about any of it, and I thought, whoa, they've completely lost it. And that's what I mean about like <laughs> almost like narrative momentum. Like you could do standalone episodes, but I felt mm-hmm. like season two, three of travelers kind of didn't know what it was doing so it was just sort of telling a bunch of stories until it got to those last four and then it was like oh yeah and now i'm going to tell the story that i wanted to tell and i wish the whole yeah. season had had that kind of uh, progression and momentum because um once i watched episode so we watched episode six and we're like we're not going to watch this for a while and then i picked up those last four episodes like you and that to come here and do mm-hmm. this um those last four <laughs> i'm it was glad like, i did they i had to work it. we watched the first two and i'm like well if we wa- it's late 
And if we watch episode nine, <laughs> we're going to have to watch episode 10. And it was really hard to stop watching episodes. I was like, oh, yeah, Travelers, I like this show. After having been kind of repelled in the middle of the season and been like, do I even want to keep watching this? Which is not great. <laughs> the episode that ends with David Riddle with bullets. It's kind of hard to uh-huh. stop on that and being um, like, yeah, what? it was. It at, was. At that point, I had caught up. So that was that was where I caught up to real time. And I did oh, have no. to wait a whole week. I sent Erica a message last night at uh, like 11 o'clock going, I'm not okay with what just happened to David. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no. I was glad that I got to that point in the middle of an afternoon and I didn't have to worry about a time conundrum (laughs) of, well, it's 11 p.m. Uh, What do I do? Um, Because I thought, I thought, surely, surely this is not where we're leaving David. Well, I, I. I did. I, I had to sleep on it. And it's funny because I had dreams about travelers and I woke up in the morning and I thought, oh, there's nanites in that blood. Like that literally overnight, my brain had solved the problem of what was going to happen to David. And it's a nice I would say I think that is that episode is a super clever episode in the sense that you leave a character dead. And in the next episode, you say, oh, he's OK. And that's the episode where he dies, uh, yeah. which is I think that. was uh, kind of, Yeah. And it's done so well because it's, it's you terrible. spend a, like you do spend a while in that episode being like, shouldn't he be dead? Like he's full of bullets. Right. Like and it takes you a little while to sort of even if you don't figure it out beforehand. Just sleep I was like staring at like you cannot walk around after you've been shot. Yeah, that many it's the times. Nanites. Something's happening. Did it, but then he touched the, the radioactive ball. And anyway, um, mm-hmm. I want to mention I'm just going to again, I want to talk about some of the characters, but I want to mention one other thing that I didn't like that was in this season. I like the show, but um, they introduced and again, it's one of those things like it's an idea that somebody had that they're like, oh, this will be an interesting twist. And yet I never really felt like it made a lot of sense, which is they introduced the progenitor AI that will become the director, which is Ilsa. And it, it lets them have a cool set where there's like a big circle and there's a supercomputer or something and they talk to it and it's a little mysterious. And the, there's like a, a gunfight there later. And it, it's a way for the the um, director to sort of be more present at a couple of points. But I felt it was was like a half baked idea that never was really used to its its full I, I i would almost have it not been there rather than the way it was used which was just kind of like halfway and i also want to point out one of the dumbest things in this entire season which is that they named the creator of ilsa the ai dr teslia which yeah. is yeah. like they might as well have called him Dr. Einstein or Dr. <laughs> Dr. Fine Person because like come on I will, I agree with you on the the structuring of that it was another one where it felt like it was a little too uh it was a little too deliberately doled out in a way that felt artificial uh in that they'd be like oh Oh, aren't you interested in this thing that's going on? Huh? Eh? And then they'd be like, oh, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> ah, but aren't you interested in this? No, eh, the thing, Tim, mysterious. Nope, we're going to move on to something else. And it just felt deliberately really put there to like kind of stymie you at times. And again, I think it slowed the pacing and made things awkward. Like I like having the scientists continually call people up and be like, oh, come see what the computer's doing. <laughs> like what are they they it people i don't i don't know what's happening there I'm, just turn it back off and back on it'll be fine we're not coming <laughs> yeah. over don't connect yeah. it to the internet <laughs> yeah i'll give you that one i i think for me it was more like i just didn't quite i couldn't wrap my head around exactly how that fit in how the director was able to speak through ilsa and then you know you mentioned ilsa being the progenitor for the director but that's not ever actually stated either so who even who, knows? who even knows yeah, 
It was just um, another weird. Again, it's I, like I love what I love about this show is that it is not afraid to throw in new ideas to put in plot twists that you're like, how are they going to get out of this one? And then it's like, aha, we'll do this other crazy thing that will get you out of this. It's like, I love that about it. But this season, I think more than the previous season, I felt the batting average was a little bit lower where some of that stuff was like, yeah, that didn't really work or it didn't work as well as you thought. I don't know if they did. Uh, you know, I, I guess Dan was theorizing, like maybe they literally did change direction in the middle and realized that, they, that maybe some of these plans were going to need to change because they were probably not going to come back. But I don't know. It, it just, it, it, I appreciate the effort to throw in this these wild ideas but i think they were a little maybe a little less successful and a little less developed you know it we talked about fan fiction a little bit before and honestly it also feels a little bit uh fan ficky um because that's you know you're you're watching this and you know these characters and you know the director and don't you just want them to finally get to talk to yeah. the director directly right uh, so so that was and I'm not saying that's a bad thing I I enjoyed it very much seeing the look on McLaren's face when he's in there like at the end. looking at this machine talking yeah. talking to him as the direct like whoa his mind is blown and at the same time then you also have Grace who like has a completely mm. different reaction to the director and is mostly just cranky at it because it's not talking to her uh so i while i uh, agree that that plot wise maybe it didn't sort of roll along the way some of the other plot bits did i appreciated it just for the character stuff that we got from the uh the other people interacting yeah, with I, well, it. it's like the end the end was good but i felt like the end didn't justify the setup, right? Like, or it wasn't justified by the setup. Like, if if that was the purpose of Ilsa was to have that really kind of great stuff right at the end where they talk to the director and there's the 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 guys with the guns come and and Grace is there and they and they end up using Ilsa to do to do zero zero one's evil plot and all of that. Like that was great, but like up until that point, I was very confused about why it was there and how it worked and what was happening and that. That, so I guess the setup didn't work for me, even if the resolution was like, I get why they were trying to get there, because the resolution was pretty cool. It was just until that point, I was just frustrated by the whole thing. I think the scenes I liked were actually before that. So like the, the little bits and pieces where they popped in and and well, visited. Anything with Grace is going to be great, right? That's yep. talk yeah. about Agreed. a character that was not supposed to stick it, around. And they're like, no, she's <laughs> too good. We're going to just keep using her. Letting Jennifer Spence curse uh, is a really so great good. thing. Um, <laughs> Philip. Our uh, historian, uh, I, I want to mention, talk about ways that the show handles time travel. I, I got to say, I loved the fact that he stops taking his pills and he literally can see like through all the different yeah. possible timelines. Because I felt like I just I really liked the idea that um, he was living the um ramifications of the premise of the show and that it, it that it when you do that it kind of messes you up and i i just i don't know i mean it, it's more kind of like weird scenes where he sees eight of people and he sees people doing things that they don't do um but I, I really like road it. you can't cross a road because at right. various timelines there were cars in all the parts <laughs> it was the it, one of the things i really did like about this season was they gave each of the characters kind of their Almost. own little set piece. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, having uh, Trevor and Philip and uh, and Mac and Marcy all get kind of 
I, I feel like Carly probably a little bit, but like less so. Carly, that's, that's Carly's, my a, Carly's yeah. a problematic. Yeah, Carly that's, got a raw deal. I think from the very beginning. I actually yeah. I opened up the um, you know travelers.fandom.com slash you know wiki, and over on the right side you have popular pages. There's links to to everybody except Carly, but they also have David. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, it was just, which which yeah. I think is a perfect illustration of how I mean, there's a little part of me that's almost glad that they didn't lean into her story too much more because I had some issues with the way that she was portrayed as this this black woman who was, you know, in in a terrible, abusive relationship and the way that she they had her make choices to try to get back together with this guy who technically killed yeah. the original version of her and just I, they had done so many things that made me highly uncomfortable that there was a little bit of relief in the fact that she didn't do a whole lot then get a new apartment this season yeah. <laughs> and beat up and beat up uh, the she beats the, up one the, the boyfriend next door which, yeah. and I don't even feel great about no. that because she's just continuing the cycle of violence yep. and that's not necessarily a great thing either I actually think the thing I liked about her the most was having when when Jeff gets overwritten yes and having to navigate like yeah well it's not the same it's literally not the same person I hate this guy but, but it's, it's not kind that of it right like and I love the new Jeff like I think that I <laughs> I give full credit to that actor for really selling that like total tonal shift with that character yes. I feel like that overwrite just should have happened a lot earlier that's yeah, yeah I would exactly that. which is yeah. how many seasons did we have to go through before the logical thing which was that Jeff needed to be overwritten and I although I do like how it's done here which is basically Carly who has been watching the show and is really tired of all of Jeff's crap <laughs> finally is like I'm just gonna shoot you and you're gonna die and at that point the director is like well he was gonna die which is a hell of a loophole by the way mm. hell of yep. a loophole <laughs> yep and it's like, okay, I mean, although if you view it from the director's perspective, what happened is that Carly shot Jeff. And then the director right. is like, hey, uh, she killed that guy. Let's let's overwrite that. Let's change that, right? But but like But you could just kill anybody. That was that the point. Yeah. right. Yeah. So that was the most interesting thing though, was that finally it was like Carly is gonna kill Jeff because Jeff is so awful. It should have happened a season and a half before it did. Well, and, and go back to season one, and there there was that violent altercation between the two of them where you could have, you know, assumed that she was going to not control herself and just full-on kill him, and they could have overwritten him there, and this is where the Canadian mid-budget, high-budget, whatever you want to call it, comes in, <laughs> where it's, okay, do we have the budget to make this guy a series regular? Nope, guess we're just going to beat up on a lady for two and a half seasons. I think what is interesting about that moment in season three is is that even though she's the one who technically kills him she's still sort of surprised by when it happens and is 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 dealing with the that switch from that like i don't think they really understood until that moment from the traveler perspective what it's like to be on the other side and have that person change so it was really uncomfortable so it really uncomfortable for her but at the same time she wanted it to happen she basically makes it happen and yet it still really takes her by surprise and she still struggles with it trevor who is one of the great characters on this show the old man and the young man's body Mm -hmm. gets his gets his story here which you know is this um this episode where he's basically if i have a complaint about it it's like literally hey this thing that we've never heard of before is going to kill me yeah. by the end of the episode and by the end of the episode it's like <laughs> mm-hmm. oh he's fine he's sort of fixed it can i just say i really do love before that that the 
I my favorite thing about Trevor's in this in this in pretty much any season is his relationship with his dad. Oh yeah, which I, <laughs> Gary. I find I find hilarious. Gary. Yeah, Gary, I just I like it so. I mean, frankly, that actor Jared Abramson is fantastic so, so in this. Good. It's just well, and that's so that's what good. I like about that tra- the Trevor episode is not the fact that it's a thing we've never heard of that's going to kill him and then they decide it's not going to kill him and then he's fine at the end of the episode what i like about it is that we get a lot of trevor and we get to really kind of explore the idea that he's the oldest person ever and that he's mm-hmm. lived through many lives and many bodies and that he his wife was with him for through like three lifetimes and all of these things and we get to see like a glimpse of them as old people in their dome in the crappy future um, mm-hmm. at one point, which is one of the very few glimpses of the future we ever get in the show. Like, that's the stuff I really liked about that episode. And the fact that he sacrifices himself, that he basically says, I've lived a long time. It's fine. You, you'll get a new you'll get a new guy in this body and it'll be fine. I, I you know, my wife has been gone. Um, I, I'm going to go. And I, I've I've had a lot of life and it's fine. Like all of that I really liked and it was good to get because that actor is so good playing that such a the, such, again the against zen, type. Right? It's, like it's, he's got yeah. such so such zen so to him with just like the peacefulness of the like yeah. I, I just I really love the way that he interacts with the other characters. Yeah. Just such a great character. Um that that's one of the delights of this show too. I talk about them discovering the premise of the show. I feel like they discovered the characters too, and some of them like Carly, who initially was like really interesting and i thought was going to be one of the more interesting characters given the premise that she's essentially what you know a a a victim of domestic violence murdered by her partner who now doesn't get murdered and Mm -hmm. like is this new person who is assertive and is going to take care of her kid and all of these things and and yet that kind of didn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. she was also the love interest of the quote-unquote main character of the show so she's entirely defined by the men Mm -hmm. around her to start with and it never really gets much better yeah she Mm -hmm. she was she was both girl she was girlfriended and uh, battered girlfriended simultaneously, simultaneously yeah, yeah right so that didn't didn't work out and yet then you get trevor for example and then you get marcy and david where i feel like as the show goes along they're like oh my god we need that's the heart all well, the I mean, marcy and david you can get david is a character that i feel like in almost any other show i would have been like i would have rolled my eyes at this oh, yeah. character like he's just too good he's too nice <laughs> he's, there seems to be something almost like annoying about how yeah. good he is and yet he that again full credit to the actor yes. here really imbues him with a mm-hmm. lovability to yeah. just like good. even when you get the the episodes where he's like I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get tough. I'm gonna get to fight. <laughs> it's like, punched by the oh, game that's adorable. You know, you know, usually I hate. I hate the uh, the girlfriending of characters, but I like that they took the damsel in distress tropes and applied them to a big barrel chested ginger guy with a beard. <laughs> yeah, and I also appreciated too that like he's striving for this sort of stereotypical idea of masculinity but he never reaches it and we don't want him to because the things that we love about him are the things that are so the antithesis of that stereotypical masculinity we love him for who he is so i appreciate that the show is realistic enough to have him aim for those sorts of things because he does live in the 21st that's that's where he's from but uh but 
but I love him for him. And the <laughs> yeah. show does too. He gets, that, he gets that episode where his guy, his uh, like client dies. Yeah. And he has to mm-hmm. like yell at his ex-wife to come to the funeral and all that. And Marcy's like, I'll totally be there. And then adventure happens. Plot happens. She's not at the funeral. And he's like, Ugh. and then finally she shows up and he's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And that's like a whole big <laughs> thing is just literally, can this person on a, it's a time travel adventure show. And the, the big point is, can this dude uh, give a speech? <laughs> yeah. Can, can he, can he go to the dance recital? <laughs> can he, can he eulogize the guy from Highlander, the series? Oh. Oh. But he also didn't have to become that uber masculine to then yep. be ultimately heroic. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, he saves he saves millions of people. Yes. And, and ultimately, unwittingly, sacrifices himself to do so. Um, yeah. 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 No, it's it's uh, that th- and that relationship is again again starts off in a super weird place at the beginning yep. of the show yeah, right? where it's like, oh, she's his. Uh, mentally disabled uh, client, and now suddenly mm-hmm. she's a genius from the future, and they're like, uh, then they're then they're dating. It's like no, no, mm-mm, mm-mm, no. And yet, over the course of three seasons, it ends up being this very sweet relationship. And so, when he finally, legitimately, for the last time, discovers that they're from the future and all of that, which he does in the archive when he's talking to the archivist, um, he gets. Uh, an episode and a half where he gets to react finally after 30 plus episodes <laughs> to this crazy premise that's going on around him. And that part is delightful too. Uh, yeah. That, the, the dawning of Marcy, Marcy, you're actually superwoman. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he says something to the effect of like, I might be gullible, but I'm not dumb or so- something to that effect, which is totally what, what he is all the way along. He's, he hasn't, I examined anything too closely because I think he knows in the back of his mind that not everything's going to fit together from the very beginning. Yes. Because mm-hmm. the only reason that he's he just an feels FBI able doctor, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he feels like he's able to date her because oh, she was she was never actually disabled. Yeah, she was, she was simply undercover or whatever. And well, no, yeah. and and you know what? I buy it because I feel like I, I can put myself in David's mind for a moment. It's like, yeah, how is this incredibly brilliant, beautiful woman? interested in me i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna ask like i'm not gonna question the premise here i'm just gonna go with it he's the sweetest <laughs> kindest person so of course he is going to take what other people tell him at face value yeah. because mm-hmm. that's what he would do with somebody else well he's a social worker too right so he's yeah. kind of used to being on the side of these people right yep. like who are disadvantaged and so like when people come to him he just he He's an optimist, right? Like he assumes the best. Like, sure. Every time. Yeah, this that's probably it, right? <laughs> I felt like he could have he would have believed so much sooner though, and I felt I wanted Marcy just to tell him ages ago. So it was very satisfying when I knew he was just gonna swing with it. Of all the people, he was just gonna swing and be like, Oh, okay, sure. Now what? Yeah, but you know, proto- protocol too. Like don't just uh, don't jeopardize your cover. So, you know, mm-hmm. they were sticking with it. So in the last episode, which is Protocol Omega, which I guess the uh this is that dramatic moment where they receive this message from from David just before he dies, basically saying Protocol Omega and then he dies. And um uh I really like that scene where he's dreaming and he's in his apartment yes. and everything's super mm. warm and everybody's mm-hmm. there and oh, he gets the to dinner. talk to them and say yes. goodbye and yeah. all of that. Oh, that's that when I started crying. Really well yep. done. 
Um, and then, and then he, he, in his dying moment, like so many people do in this show, he has a message from the future and it's protocol Omega and the protocol Omega is again, this fascinating permutation in the time travel idea, which is this timeline is no good to me anymore. The director decides to cut bait on this timeline and I'm not quite sure how that works. Yeah. I guess it means, I guess it means that the director is going to send people further back, which kind of cuts this timeline off. And it's no longer part of the... I they couldn't send anybody for the answer. Well, they couldn't because it would disrupt the space-time continuum too mm. much. So maybe if he doesn't care at this point, he's just going to send people back farther. It was something about like the amplitude and the something-something. Yeah, yeah. There was technobabble. Yeah. So, Sciencing. So it ends up being this thing where... Um, we, again, zero zero one, and there's a whole plan, and the, the, there's a you know zero zero one is going to do something, and it involves the computer and and the the secrets that are in Marcy's brain, and they're gonna they're gonna put this whole plan together, and they foil the and, and meanwhile nuclear missiles are gonna fly because of the the nuclear bombs going off everywhere except the city in which our travelers are located, which is very definitely <laughs> in the United States, totally, totally, um, and uh, you know that all happens, and it's very exciting, and some of it moves fast enough that you don't go well, wait a second <laughs> and marcy but, sacrifices herself there too that's what i wanted to say is that there are two really interesting things w- with marcy first off uh philip at, in the wake of david's death he one of his parallel timelines he has this vision of marcy killing herself right and yeah. and that turns out not to be what she has done um, but he's he runs there and he's super concerned about it. But in the end, she her her the code in her brain that allowed her to be rebooted is part of zero zero one's plan, and she she shoots herself in the head to prevent them from getting what's in her brain and using it to you know defeat the director. And it, it is at this point, it's very clearly all going to get reset or. Yeah. Or it's the end of the show, or, or both. Right, right. Yeah, like basically all the stakes have been like, every, all the stops are pulled out. But it is a super heroic moment where she realizes that she is going to be used to defeat the purpose of why she's there, and she does the heroic thing, which is totally in her character to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we end up with that moment where Mac, uh, they finally is like, I guess I'll go back, and and he's had had it out with Cat, where um, she she is finally after probably again too long said, you're not. Yeah. The guy i married mm-hmm. you need to go away mm-hmm. but in that moment of him not knowing when they met he now has and i did not see this part coming he now has the space-time mm-hmm. coordinates of yeah. where the he tell. was so he could send himself back to that moment which is how the the show ends and it was quite an episode there's a lot in it again i think there's some logical leaps but it was uh i i would agree i think in some ways an incredibly satisfying series finale to have everything build like that and and have it have the the resolution that it had yeah well and they, and they get to you know they get to get out with like a bittersweet ending too right because we do have marcy and david meet again and marcy a is not different marcy right well because like in theory, marcy. Zero, well zero zero yeah. one hasn't been right. there to mess her, with her her mental disability was caused by zero zero one we found out mm-hmm. last season i had to remind lauren of that she had forgotten yeah. that yeah. and so because that was that moment of like oh and now we see the payoff which is if mclaren goes to the world trade center on september 11th and before keith mars is sent back in time he sends the email saying and i love that moment where he sends the email to the director and it says 
it didn't work. The traveler program doesn't work. Don't send 001. You have that moment where you're like, okay, wait. So they turn the director on and they're like, we've got this whole time travel system. And the very first thing that happens is that they get a note saying, nope, this plan you've got doesn't work. Like, that's so Don't crazy. It. But it literally, so 001 is never sent. That's like the people who throw parties for time travelers, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah, that's how, that's exactly how it should work, right? Like it, if you if your system works, you would already know. Yeah, there's free cake. Just uh, you know where the coordinates <laughs> yeah. are. Come on back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's just it's just a great moment that it's like replaying something we saw last season, and he is sending the email saying it doesn't work. Don't send zero zero one, and then he knows he's got to leave the World Trade Center at that point, and then so th- as a result, uh, Marcy. The non-traveler Marcy is on the bus and she's actually making reference to the the job at the hospital, which was the hospital where she was experimented on in the other timeline and how she's mm-hmm. getting a new job. And David is there and they meet. And what a, what an ending, like what an ending that is that here are our two characters um, who are are kind of fated to meet and be together, even though it's not they're not it's who not they were. <laughs> It's like it's it's it is bittersweet, but at the same time, it is not just the sadness. It is also kind of the sweetness of that. Also, you know, then the last thing is like begin phase two of Travelers, and that's how the show ends. So <laughs> I'm sad for the Marcy in the future because she never gets to go back in time and meet this love of her life who who it's makes true. her question everything and and feel different about the world and that like that that totally breaks my heart but i'm i also like i have another one of those little quibbles with the fact that okay so she's changing her job because she didn't like the way the patients were treated except zero zero one hasn't come back by this point so he's not mistreating patients so because otherwise the healthcare system is perfect (laughs) so i'm thinking well i'm just thinking like no she she was actually switching jobs to the to the uh the, the hospital maybe where Zero zero one would have worked Maybe. at had he stuck around. Well, That's exactly, exactly that hypothetical is why I'm kind of like you know Netflix owns the show now. Netflix has a comic publishing arm now. Uh, I would I would be completely totally fine with the idea of um of a one arc you know a single trade paperback uh comic that that gives us the phase two story um i'd be fine without it too um but i i wouldn't be opposed to it um mm-hmm. because it, it it definitely feels like there were threads that that could be tugged on not extending this thing into infinity um but it it, it I, from all the stuff that we've gone over it feels like there's there was definitely a pivot point in conceptualizing the season where they definitely didn't know right when they started uh, breaking scripts for season three that this was going to be it um, and and it would be it would be nice uh, for for the creatives to get some sort of a closure in that sense um, but you know that said I I've experienced way rougher uh, cutoffs of narratives, um, you know, with shows that get canceled. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not even of, uh, so much of two minds as, uh, you know, I like how it just sort of throws everything under the bus in a sense where it's like you can't really make things worse than they did. <laughs> so, so like maybe we should do nothing is like the kind of question you're left with. And yeah, I like that they tease out maybe like that there might be a phase two, but I also like the idea that, you know what, 
it's almost optimistic, right? Like, we're not doing so bad. We might mess things up, but uh, maybe we can fix it. And I think that episode with Alexander sort of alludes to that for me, where mm-hmm. a few small changes actually can make a big difference. So maybe if you just let us play out, make a few changes, and that you can actually manufacture something better that I don't know. I just, it made me feel optimistic. Like we can make a few changes and we won't gain an apocalypse in uh, however many years. And there's one important thing that we haven't mentioned, and that's that before McLaren goes to the trade, uh, the, the, uh, right. um, the World did. Trade Center, he has this envelope that says Helios on the front oh, right, of it. And right. He passes it off to one of the scientists right. who would have died, who then also would have lived and would have created the singularity engine, whatever. So, you know, hopefully prompting her to notice the asteroid and thereby avert that catastrophe, but not have the director meddling with any right. other things, mm-hmm. in theory. Right. Which, so so it, at least saving lives, if not changing mm-hmm. the future, right? Like, I, and that's mm-hmm. right, because like, that's the, like, the one thing that he knows is going to happen, because like, that was their original mission. But I, I agree. I like, it, I like that it pulls out all the stops. I like that it goes in a direction I don't quite anticipate. And again, as I said earlier, I like that it's not an instant fix reset switch, right? Like, Yes, it fixes some of the it like it wipes out a lot of the stuff, but it also means we lose a lot of the characters that we we grew to love. Right, essentially, mm-hmm. they're they are sacrificed for this again a greater good of all these things not coming to pass. And you know, there's a lot of I, I like that it has that sort of you know Inception like question of well, is this really going to fix anything? I guess we'll have to see. Like it's kind of up to your own headcanon to decide whether or not it does change things. Um, There's no saying that the director couldn't have just sent people back after zero zero one. It's not out of the question, but yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, what what is what happens next is a good question. One of the things the FBI agent uh, brings up in the last episode that I think is a really, I mean, she says it outright, which is, "Are you really making things better?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a great question. Like, you guys are all fighting and things are blowing up and you just, I mean, basically a nuclear war is starting right right then. And it's like, you guys did this. Like, you people from the future did this. You're messing this up, which leads to McLaren ultimately going back and saying, it didn't work <laughs> to the, to the mm-hmm. director. Mm-hmm. Don't send Traveler 1. It didn't work. Um, think of something else. I wondered to myself, like, if Netflix said, all right, Brad Wright. Um, in fact, he, he mentioned this on Twitter. He says, who knows if people keep finding this show, it's entirely possible that in three, the reason we left the thread in there is like Netflix may come back to us in three or four years and say, Hey, you know, a lot of people watch travelers. Maybe you should make some more of that. What would Mm -hmm. they do? And I'm torn between, you know, just completely new cast and new travelers. And they, they do it all again with a slightly changed premise. I also part of me thinks like what happens in this timeline, and I like to imagine that that uh, the traveler inside McLaren goes to that unnamed city that's definitely in the United States, and like <laughs> builds builds a team of civilians to help him. He has a mysterious knowledge of the future, and it's all the characters. But now it's their original. It's their original right. personalities this time. I am from the future. Follow me, <laughs> or maybe just a, maybe it's a pyramid scheme. He like sends for Amway or something. Could be. But he can like recruit Marcy and David, and and you know it's just it's a nurse and a and a social worker, and then he's got he, he's got Carly, and and we'll have to do something about Jeff. We're gonna have to you're, kill you're, Jeff. You're assembling a suburban D and D team. Yeah. 
<laughs> I like it. Jason, Jason, I, I think your theory is not far off because even the notion of doing a wrap up telefilm, as it were, um, I, you know, I don't think that's completely out of the question uh, because in some ways, and I wish they'd paid me to shill this way, um, Netflix kind of changes the rules. Um, you know, Sense8, uh, there was a big fan outcry and they got to finish their their show off properly with the, with a final film. Yeah, I, and I think Brad writes feeling really is like things do get discovered on netflix and mm-hmm. and and yeah. travelers really was a show that was totally obscure when it dropped it was literally just they licensed it from canada and put canada. it on put it on the rest Yay. of the world uh, in december randomly so obscure. and mm-hmm. and people found it and the word of mouth got out about it and you know basically in this era never say never if it yep. does well, there's no saying that Netflix isn't going to look at the at the stats and go, you know, this Travelers actually do, does pretty well. Maybe we should get more of that. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. Who knows? I don't think I'm as, as conflicted as you are, Jason. I think for me, I loved the way that this ended so much just because it, it made me feel so many different and conflicting things yes. about it. Because, you know, I love the I loved Marcy and and David on the bus, but it also made me really sad and like yeah. all of these things. So I, I personally don't necessarily want to see these actors again doing anything remotely like these characters i would i think i would rather see a different cast doing something different but because of the nature of the multiple timelines you could literally do both you could have this travelers with you know totally new cast and you could have a travelers in a different timeline that's exactly what you just said you're saying we could have travelers universe travelers atlantis (laughs) i'm saying that sure you know again i i would put the odds on that this is this is it and this is all there will ever be and that's fine because you know what I do believe firmly that uh, this was a good ending and that uh, in the streaming era, shows that have completion are more valuable Mm -hmm. than shows that don't. And I think Travelers, I can recommend Travelers to other people now because it's like it's a great 34 or whatever it is episodes and you'll like it. And and yes, it does not end on a cliffhanger. It has an emotional conclusion to it. And that like, it's going to be watched in a way that it wouldn't if it just abruptly ended. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind when things are canceled or end. It's, I just hate it when they end and you don't have that feeling of completion. And I I will say again, watching this, um, watching this last few episodes of this season, like it's such a good premise. And I wish there were more shows that were kind of, that were, were in this vein where it's like, it's willing to make bold, strange decisions uh, that they're examining its premise. It's a time travel show that is weird and twisty like time travel, but, but, you know, has such a pure uh, premise at its heart that it is a team of people who are trying to save the world. And, and it executes that pretty well. And it's like, it is a little treasure of a show and I'm glad I got a chance to exist and that I got a chance to run to its conclusion. And, uh, and I'll never think of Eric McCormick as will ever again. Nope. <laughs> we'll always be fake Agent McLaren from now on. <laughs> oh, that that wraps up not just uh, Travelers, but this episode. I'd like to thank my guests for talking about uh, twisty time travel things with me. Annette Weirster, thank you. Thanks. Erica Ensign, thank you. Protocol 5, getting back to my life. Which protocol is that? I don't even know. Dan Moore? I don't know. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Jason, I just got this email saying this podcast didn't work. <gasps> yeah, we're going to have to do it again. Moises Chuyon, thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> a small child walked up to me on the street yesterday, blathering nonsense in a weird voice, and uh, it it changed the course of the rest of my day and maybe existence. And thanks to everybody out there who is listening to this episode via an archive found in a landfill in the year 2450. (laughs) Made of blood. It's part of your historical record now, and we appreciate that. Um, And I guess go listen to next week's episode now, because we've reached the end of this one. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Protocol Omega. Protocol Omega.